it's Amy Lombardi from TuneCore's Entertainment Relations Department based in Austin, Texas. Thanks for joining us for the Music Made Me podcast. Today, we're going to be presenting the second part of our conversation with Matt Riley, Program Director of KUTX, and... Howard Petrozello, a radio promotion person for Red Light Artist Management. We're talking about radio promotion. Here's part two. Is the ideal for every one of your acts to get to top 40? And I realize that right now top 40 is, is very, um, it's a lot, a lot of R&B, a lot of hip hop um, driven, whereas like top 40 in the early 2000s used to be pop driven with like a lot of pop bands. So I realized that that also changes with the times, but as an ideal, is that, is that it for, for you? Ultimately top 40 might not be in the DNA of a lot of music, but the great thing about culture and modern culture is you just never know what's going to stick and what, you know, what the cultural climate's going to be. Um, my lazy answer would be if I could expose my, an artist I'm working with to 110 million people on the radio. I, yes, that, that is the great goal. I also think that's like I'm going to go down to the corner, buy a lottery ticket, and scratch off and become a millionaire. It's it's unlikely, you know. Right. There really is a building block, and you know, clearly, you know, if you're Ariana Grande, that's where you start. Um, you know, a lot of artists. Again, I could go back over 25 years, different ones I've worked that, you know, built their way there, and it's really it's super exciting when you get there. Um, you know, just because you you just see everything going, but a lot of times, you know. You're a, a successful rock artist, or you're an ex- successful hot AC artist. You're a successful non-com artist, and you can have a really good, sustaining career. You know where you're um, blooming, where you're planted. You know. Let's talk about that Ariana Grande mention for a second. Ariana Grande never went to non-com, right? Is that a good, fair assumption? As far as I know, unless unless there was a fan at non-com. I mean, I like Ariana Grande, but unless there was a fan who played on a specialty show or something, there are records from major labels that are so big before they even come out, right? Yeah. That they never go to non-com. Yeah, and because they're they're just fed directly into the machine. So that there's a handful of examples of artists that exist in both worlds. Prince. No, Used well, to. more okay. more recently, Adele. <laughs> Adele, yes. Adele started in non-com and then kind of blew up, but um, she she's never actually left because we still play her new records. Uh, Black Keys. Oh yeah. They they were just a two man band bashing out songs that sounded like the White Stripes, and that's they started. But I mean, it was it was just a two man gut bluck, gut bucket blues outfit, and so they expanded their sound and they are now you know in the home depot paint aisle or on the speakers right uh so but right. we're, we're still playing their new records mm-hmm. so um but yeah i think and leon bridges is another interesting one because we being in texas we got to kind of see that up close and this band white denim was actually they found him and they're an austin band and they found him and they two guys from white denim left white denim and just became his rhythm section and so, but we watched how a major label swooped in and just launched him into the stratosphere. And we were a little concerned for him because he was completely unknown, had, did not have a lot of experience, didn't have that time in the van grinding it out with a band. And he just went to superstardom very quickly. And so you see it every now and then where like a label swoops in and just 
elevate somebody to that high status. And uh, hopefully there's a happy ending. I think, I think Lizzo is a good example of that, where Lizzo yeah. was very early, and that was like non-com was sort of her home, but clearly she's just, you know, so incredible that like Love her. almost unstoppable. And now she's everywhere you look, it's Lizzo. But, you know, I think she'll non-com will be a long-term home for her. And I, I don't work with her in any capacity, but it's just one. It's been really cool watching that, hearing her for the last few years, you know, out there exclusively on non-com stations and just seeing her now everywhere. It's cool. So yeah. true. And so many sinks, so many TV commercials. Mm-hmm. Or even just being in magazines. I mean, yeah. She's got, a, she's got a great team. Well, she's got, she, she has something to say and right. she says it exquisitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- what we were just talking about, like the com- commercial radio and formats and what's behind getting a song played on commercial radio? Like, what does it take, Howard? Uh, you know, country, country is its own. I, I kind of don't want to be rude, but let's just say they are all their own rackets. Country, it's its own thing. Like, if you're not, if you probably work like rock and alternative, right, Howard? And like those general formats. I'm, yes. You're yeah. not going to work a country record unless you're trying to break it through rock to get to country radio, right? Yes. I mean, well, Red Light is, is a huge country roster. I mean, I think some of the best artists in country are, are represented by that. And um, my boss, the guy that runs our whole uh, department, Ed Green, he does engage deeply with country radio. And, you know, well, I, saying every format is its own racket, that, you know, that's, you know, I, I wouldn't say that. But each each one, each format does, there are unique bucket, qualities. Bucket, that's what I meant. Yeah, they, they, each one, there are unique qualities to each one. You know what does it take? I think the fundamentals are the same. It's it's relationship based, being able to you know get the meetings with people, but also knowing um, you know knowing what the dynamic of each radio station is. Something I always tell younger reps that I work with, people that I've managed, anybody that I give advice to, is you have to ultimately sell what the other person buys, and you have to understand what their needs are. You can't make it all about like I need you to play this or this is great, you should play it. That's that's just so one sided that if they ask two follow up questions, you're going you're going to crumble. So the approach I've always taken is listen to these radio stations, um, see how they interact with their audience, see what the realities of their playlists are. Do they play 15 currents? Do they have 35 currents? Currents. Do they new, lead? Currents or new music? New music, right? Oh yeah, yeah, new music plot. Sorry. Um, are they leaders? Are they followers? Are they somewhere in the middle? Knowing that I'm not going to change that. If somebody the radio station plays 15 new records. They wait till a song is in the top 20 before they even look at it. Unless it's a brand new large artist, you know, they're not going to change the rules for me. So, um, you know, understanding what each situation is, is important. Having a relationship, knowing what the programmer is looking for, how they want to be engaged, what, what they, what sort of makes them tick. Do they like metrics? Do they like passion? Do they like live music? There are different, there are different points of entry, but knowing each one of those situations you know, that's important. And it, it makes it challenging because you have to keep a lot of things in your head from personalities, the market size, but it's also the fun part of the job, like really just figuring out each individual situation. I loved that part of being a publicist. We would keep notes in the database about like, you know, what records people covered, but which ones they liked particularly. I mean, it really helps you get to know their personalities and their tastes. Uh, another thing I would mention is know the specialty shows that those stations have mm-hmm. and see if they can fit in there. Um, a lot of times specialty shows could be about local music or could they could be format oriented. Um, so... 
Those are probably and, and a lot of times, you know, program directors pay attention to their specialty shows. I was in a meeting in a top 10 market last Friday and, um, you know, promoting a new artist that's a little bit on the heavier side that probably wouldn't fit in regular rotation for the radio station. But the program director was intrigued enough, saw some stuff that was happening. He's like, I'm going to play this Sunday night and just see how it sounds on the radio. Concurrently, my rep in Los Angeles had a very similar conversation with the Los Angeles radio station and they both played it on Sunday night. So that can get the conversation ongoing. So to me, I, again, we're looking for any point of entry, um, you know, with commercial radio, one of the other things that are different, you know, non-com, it's sort of like herding cats because every station is really unique to their market. They don't, they're, they don't follow each other. That's, a, that's, I think they're, their best qualities. Like they Austin does what's right for Austin. Seattle does what's right for Seattle, Minneapolis, New York, so on and so forth. You know, the reality of commercial radio now is a couple of really big chains, you know, radio companies own a lot of radio stations. Um, and, you know, the, the good side of that is there's sort of a lot of shared institutional knowledge in that they can see what's happening in all these markets. Scary part is there sometimes the, the decisions, um, one person can make a decision that impacts several radio stations. Again, I, I try to approach it is that good or bad? I don't ask myself that question. That's just the landscape as it is right now. So it's just important to know that and know who those people are and, you know, be able to make the pitches to them, you know, in a, in a way that's going to make sense to them. Does that mean that let's say for five or six different markets, there's only one person who's really choosing the music and it's all going to be the same for those markets for that, um, like uh, that, what, what did you call it? The new music? Uh, Currents, yeah. Um, in some cases, yes. Sometimes the truth is in the middle where they'll have local programmers making decisions, but with a heavy consulting on a national level. Sure. Um, you, you know, I hate to show the curtain behind the Wizard of Oz, but, you know, and I think Matt alluded to this earlier, at a lot of commercial radio stations, the disc jockey you're hearing may not even be in your city. It's voice tracked. You can, I have friends that live in cities like Charlotte. They live in Atlanta, but they're doing radio shows all over the country. And it cracks me up. Like I'll be in a city and I'll turn on like, Oh, there's my friend. So-and-so who doesn't even live in this city. You know, again, that's just a real, an economic reality that right. commercial radio station, not right. a way to sort of like, you know, they, they would call it efficiency. Um, and, and sometimes there are national programming situations like maybe like from midnight to six several radio stations are running identical programming you know that one or two people are selectively choosing so again it's uh again that's interesting it's just a reality of of where of where things are right now how about a timeline um or process maybe both for um radio promotion like what's the starting point how far in advance of a rec of a records release date uh or a singles release date um, do you start the campaign? I mean, again, not to use my home. It's, it's, it, we're not mixing blue and yellow. It really just depends on the artist. Um, you know, again, I don't know when this is going to air, but you know, we, um, Alabama shakes is a band that both red light manages and ATO releases their records. And the lead singer, Brittany Howard is doing her first solo record. So, you know, in, in our world, you know, that's a major, a major release for us um, in the non-com. Thank you for adding it this week, Matt, by the way. We appreciate it. Never heard of her. <laughs> of course, Howard. Um, we love her. So that's when we follow a fairly traditional um, timeline where we put out a song that wasn't the first single just to sort of wake 
you know, alert the marketplace. There's a record coming out. Here's a very cool song, which again, a lot of non-commercial stations played. Um, and then last week we put out what is the first official single, um, about eight weeks before the album comes out. Okay. Um, eight to 12 weeks. That's sort of the traditional single lead time. Um, a lot of times you, you don't need to do that. Um, I think for a lot of smaller artists, I don't like doing that because, you know, a radio station is not going to play a record for three months, you know, if it's just out there alone. So I, I advocate for really doing that radio campaign closer to an album or closer to a tour where the band is going to be out there able to engage radio stations, engage fans. Um, so there's no one size fits all. Um, bigger, bigger artists, I think there's a little more of a template that you can follow. You know, I think for new artists, um, especially the way the music world is now, and there's different points of discovery. Radio almost needs to be last. Um, mm. You know, the worst position I can be in or anybody that does what I can be in is you play a record for a program director and they go, it's okay. I, I don't really like it. I don't hate it. It's fine. And you have nothing to say. What, what you want to be able to say is, you, you know, this song has been out for a few months. Look at these streams. You know, even without being on major playlists, we're seeing some traction there. Or there was a really adventurous station in Austin or Minneapolis or Louisville that's playing this record, and we're seeing Shazam activity. So clearly there's something happening here. Or the band is on the road, and they were booked to play 100-seaters, but they sold out, so the promoter moved it up to the 300 So You want to be able to have something to, to say back to, to get their attention, um, as opposed to letting radio lead the way, because it doesn't always work. It used to work. You know, when My start was actually in commercial radio. But it was in a simpler time where you had MTV, you had some radio formats, you had three magazines people read, and radio really drove the culture and drove the conversation. Where now there's so many other media distractions, um, you know, and, and there's just so much music out there that, um, you know, radio can't lead on everything. Right. So um, sometimes I think radio should be after, you know, the, a band has sort of been out there, the songs have been out. There's been some publicity. There's been some streaming and, uh, and that. And, you know, Matt, I don't know if you see that, too. Sometimes if people are relying too much on you to always lead the way or if you're looking for some signs that something is sort of worth investing KUTX's. Don't try um, to take over my podcast, Howard. Um, well, bo- actually both, because it's interesting where um, we we tend to throw a wrench in record labels plans sometimes right. for the Austin market. Uh, because Howard, you guys just got to let us pick your singles, man. <laughs> um, and so, uh, what happens a lot of Burn. times, well, no, what happens, and I'm not talking about you in, in particular, I'm just saying generally, what happens a lot of times is, uh, an, an artist that we've had a history with, will come out with a new record or a new single and we, uh, don't really love it, but we like the artist. So we'll say, send us the record and they'll go, well, that's not part of our plan. And we'll say, okay, then we'll wait. And then they get frustrated. And then as soon as we get the record, we find a different song. And then we're off and running with that artist, you know, but there was a delay because, you know, we didn't like single. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, just something where it's a case-by-case basis for us because sometimes we will see what other stations in our cohort are doing and pay attention and definitely seeing big streaming numbers helps us make a decision sometimes. Mm. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's all about building the story all the time and you build the story for a developing act or an emerging act, wherever you can get that 
lit first. Well, we're thinking about the audience too. So, I mean, right. does it really matter if we're first? Nobody cares. Nobody really cares about, you know, well, I heard it first on KUTX and that now I'm going to like it or I'm not. That doesn't, that doesn't matter. Well, that doesn't matter to your brand, but some radio stations are like, you heard it here first, right? Yeah, but what does that get you? I don't know. It makes people think that they're discovering music there. But you know easily. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I'm um, Or it's like, you know, a band like Alt-J, we played for a year and a half, and then 101X in the market started playing it. And they're like, this is something brand new. It's like, actually, no, we, we laid the groundwork for you guys. You're welcome. Um, but so anyway, yeah, I mean, it can go both ways. But having a uh, compelling narrative, so I'm kind of talking to the DIY new baby bands out there, um, then if you can have something, some sort of activity going on and then it gets taken to radio. That's just one more thing to build upon and it helps your case. Yes. Yeah. You're building a case. Can we talk about money? Guestimating how yes, much I, a radio campaign. I still haven't been paid for this. Am I getting paid? <laughs> Am I getting paid to do this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so let's talk about how much radio campaigns cost, radio promotion campaigns in general, not like specific to what, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's varied. Does it Um, vary by format? It varies by format. Um, Interesting. You know, um, that's crazy. No, but it, I'll, I'll make it less crazy by, by explaining um, so, you know, think of like college radio or specialty radio, like the very, the, the most basic entry points. Um, those are also, there, there are so many different college radio stations out there. I mean, you, you know, that somebody, once you get to a certain point, like I don't have time, it's not really, it's not a good efficient use of my time to call or even email 300 or 200 college radio stations. So there are companies that do that. There are people that specialize in that. So you have, you have to hire them and, they're experts in that world. Um, I mean, again, it might cost you $1,500, anywhere from $1,500 to $2,500 to hire somebody to run a campaign like that for you. For college. Um, for college. Specialty. Um, and specialty, yeah. So that's that's sort of what that is. Um, you know, with um, even with us having a, you know, we have a six-person team at, at Red Light, um, all experienced. Um, I think, you know, I think our team is, you know, we're, we're all veterans. Yeah, there's who, probably you know, hundreds of years of experience among all of you. you no, know, I say, I joke about that sometimes. Like, yeah. wow, if three people with 80 years combined experience. So, no, but you know, it's like we we are very good. We also have a large roster, so we will we will hire people to sort of be boots on the ground. You know, they they would be called independent promoters, um, not in that classic sense. If you read Hitman, not that kind of independent promoter, but people that actually work records that also have impeccable relationships with their radio stations that add credibility to it. So. I mean, again, the cost can vary. You know, they can be, you know, you can get a one for maybe fifteen hundred or two thousand. Some might be four thousand, depending on the the length of of the term. Um, as you go up the food chain, you know, I mean, a, a pop campaign, and again, it things cost money. You know, if you're doing something with a radio station and you want to do some branded T-shirts with your artists and that radio station, that costs money. That's part of a promotional campaign. If um if an artist is going to be doing an event with a radio station, like a Christmas maybe, show or a barbecue, yeah, like a, yeah, like a Christmas show, 
Um, or, or like, let's say an acoustic event somewhere where there's no income coming through the door. Well, um, the roadies still need to get paid. You need gas in the van. You know, there are costs that are associated with that that you're paying for. So there, there are things that you have, you have to do. So it, it all kind of adds up. Um, you know, and I've seen radio campaigns. I don't want to scare people, but like, you know, for, if, if you have a pop, a really big successful pop campaign where something's all the way, you know, you're talking tens and I'm talking high tens of thousands of dollars when all is said and done. I think it's like gone. hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen that. Yes. Um, again, I think for purposes of this podcast and people who are listening, I don't, you know, again, you're not going to be there. That's you're doing that if you're a major label, like if you at the highest levels of doing stuff. Um, I worked, well, even before I worked with the band years ago, a friend of mine was releasing um, a record by a, a Canadian artist very early on. I loved him, and it was getting a lot of success in the indie world, and I just gave him advice on you know, the American indie retail and college radio and stuff like that. And there was a point, and this is early 2000s, he was like, I think I want to go to commercial AAA, what's your advice? And my advice was buy a van. Like, if you're going to spend that kind of money, I think just buy a van tour and build it up. Cause it's just not ready for radio. Yet. Right. And it's a great, that that's, van a, is still going, that's and van's still going to this day. And it's, it's great. Um, but you know, you know, I think going to radio at the right time, um, with the right song, with the right story, um, with a full plan, um, it's, it's, it's worth the money, but just also know there are no guarantees. You know, you can hire people, you're, you're paying for the work, not the results. Some, sometimes you spend three thousand dollars to find that the song's just not right for radio. You know, that's a, that's ne- never has a truth been told that is more truthful. Well, <laughs> you're then, paying for the work, not the results. It's tr- right. so true with PR too. Yeah, and we're also talking to a lot of acts that have not yet made a living at this, or they're just starting out. You know, figure out your why. What do you want? Well, why are you doing this? You know, what's, what's the why behind this? Do you want to, do you, uh, do you think you're going to become the next Ariana Grande or Luke Bryan or whatever? Um, or do you just want to do enough to make a middle-class living? You know, what's your goal? And then adjust accordingly. But the buy the van comment is big. Yeah. Because that built, that helps you build up your case and your audience. And that is where that's what you got to do first before you can actually get some real traction, I think, in reality. I do talk to a lot of artists who are nervous to tour because it costs so much money to tour, but it also costs so much money to pay somebody to do a job that um, isn't ready to be done. Right. Start, <clears throat> start small and just concentric circles. Start in a circle around your hometown and then widen the circle. Exactly. Exactly. Round, round, residencies and round robins. <laughs> Short tours. Short yeah. tours. So um, I just have a couple more things. I would love to hear more about both of your histories if you'd like to share them. And I would love to know in those histories if you could like talk to our audience about, you know, we hear the word playola now, and that derived from the word payola. We hear playola as like a streaming a streaming term where people are playing to get paying to get on playlists. Payola was people were getting paid to be on the radio. Um, I want to hear about your career, career growth and where you guys came from. And if that ever affected you, go ahead, Matt. Um, no, 
Um, I've never really engaged. I've never seen that happen, the payola thing. I guess nobody, I mean, I'm not saying that you're lying. I know you're absolutely telling the truth because I could see your face. But I guess nobody would admit to it anyway because it's illegal. (laughs) Right. But I mean, (laughs) I will say today in my email, I got an email from a very large record company uh, with a letter saying that anytime we do business, which we have to sign, saying that anytime, anytime we do business, no money exchanges hands because a large label got in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so they have to send a letter out to all the radio stations. Okay. Um, so, but that was like 10 years ago. And so, um, no, I think um, our world is so small in, you know, the, the AAA world that we all know each other and any bad actors would get weeded out pretty quickly. Um, because we have a pretty good deal going here, and we don't want to mess it up. Sure. Um, so I think that would that would sort of the the market would solve itself in a way. The group would take care of it. Um, but yeah, I started out driving the van for um, it was a commercial radio cluster here, big group. Uh, it was rock two rock stations. The, the van it was wrapped with the radio station's name. Yeah. So when they say we're going to be out at Exxon giving out T-shirts. Oh. I was the guy who would show up early and set up the table with the T-shirts on it. Or we're going to be live from Hooters on Friday afternoon. I would be the dude who would go set up the broadcast equipment and do all the promotional stuff. But in the process, I got to meet all the DJs for all these different radio stations. Yep. And then I found out w- where their holes were. Like if, well, we need somebody midnight to 6 or we need somebody at 6 a.m. Sunday morning. So I would just raise my hand every time. And because I wanted to be on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got a gig at KGSR, which is the commercial AAA here in Austin. And then um, it was Sunday mornings, 6 to 11, pre-internet, mm-hmm. pre-TV in the control room. And oh. I was like 25 years old with two roommates. And I had to be at work at 6 a.m. on <laughs> Sunday mornings. My roommates would just be raging on Saturday night and they would never let me go to bed. So I was either super tired or super hungover. And so I'd be on the air from 6 to 7, and then from 7 to 11 was jazz tracks. And it was pre-recorded smooth jazz. And I had it, and it was on CD, and I just had to run it. And so they were like 25-minute segments. And I, it was terrible. So I would just try to read the paper with one eye closed and fell asleep sometimes on the job. Wow. Sorry. Um, but I worked my way up from there and got some better shifts. But it was a lot of night and weekend stuff, overnights, midnight to 6, uh, and then finally decided I need to get to a big market. So I went to Philadelphia and worked at WXPN up there. Got some That's regular. That's a great station. Yeah. And um, it's the home of the World Cafe. And so um, got some great experience there and raised my value in the market. And so when I wanted to come back to Austin, I was coming from a major market and I had a price tag. And so I was able to say, this is what I get paid. And they didn't want to pass up the opportunity for a major market person. Mm-hmm. And so we made it work. And here, and here I am. I mean, but I love that and now story. I have two kids. I don't even know how that happened. Well, we know how that happened, but that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Howard, how about you? Um, actually, very similar. So I and you also off- have a wife. That's true, I do. Yeah. She's wonderful. <laughs> She's the reason I landed in Philadelphia. Oh, that's awesome. Met her when I was 14. Oh, my gosh. Haven't been together that whole time. Okay, I was going to say, We're not wow. weird, but uh, <laughs> known each other forever. We're, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not going anywhere. That's awesome. How about you, Howard? It, it's funny how a lot of us have, like, similar, you know, points. So, yeah, I started off in commercial radio. My first 
jobs at a small, it was an FM rock station and an AM oldie station. I worked midnight to six, Friday to Saturday, and then I would come back 6 a.m. Sunday morning um, doing mostly syndicated stuff on the FM rock station, but then running the board for live preachers because I was in a small town in Virginia um, on the AM station. So like Matt, you know, I was 20, 19, 20. And, you know, you come in on Sunday morning at 6 o'clock and you're 19, you're, you're demolished. From the oh, your body clock can't handle that. And I'm literally introducing the Reverend Homer D. Sawyer of the First Baptist Church. And it just felt like there's a jackhammer in my head. And, uh, you know, and then, yeah, and then, uh, then I became a full-time disc jockey. Eventually got into programming. And it, it was in, through engaging um, record reps. I was like, wow, that's a pretty cool job. But I never really thought of it because I was just in a small town in Virginia. Went to a bigger town in Virginia. Um and then, similar to Matt, um, I there was a I, my girlfriend at the time was in Atlanta. I quit my stupid job, threw my crap in the car, moved to Atlanta, um, panicked, and got a job at a radio station. <laughs> um, but then, eventually, got a job in promotion. My first record promotion job was for a small company called Ichiban Records in Atlanta. Um, mostly did they actually they were the first label that did Vanilla Ice 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 Baby and made a boatload of money in that. Wow! They did hip hop, but they had some they had some cool bands like Dash Rip Rock was on the label and. Um, you know, other things like that. But um, with seven years of commercial radio experience and a college degree, my first promotion job was for $7.25 an hour. Um, hey, mom and dad, look at me now. Um, but, you know, it's like you, you get kind of good at it. And then I worked for a bunch of independent labels in Atlanta. Eventually um, moved to Boston to work for Virgin Records. So it was my first major label job where I did regional promotion. Were you the local? I was the local, yeah, uh, local in Boston, which was exciting. I mean, I worked anything from massive attack to the spice girls it was a cool label at an amazing time in one of the best cities in the world so it was really cool so i did that for a few years then i came down to new york city was promoted to do national promotion um in the alternative format and was at the it combined uh 18 years at um at virgin and capital through a series of mergers um, and then when I left there, I came over to ATO and Red Light. Um, just because, I, yeah, I, you know, my, the common thread for me is I'm a music lover. I could, if I went one room over, you would see I have a room full of records. Um, since I was five, music's just my favorite thing. So, you know, when I was doing radio programming, I, I was I liked music more than I liked radio. Um, you know, when I was working at a major label, I liked the artists and the music more than I liked the label. You know, a lot of times record labels have to make decisions like what's right for the label. It's funny, Matt, when you said concurrent circles, I don't know if you could my, my a light bulb went off. But a lot of this is, you know, the circles are there and conveniently things, sometimes priorities match up. What a management company is doing and a record label is doing and a radio station is doing, there's a point on the curve where it matches, but then there's another point where everything diverges. Totally. I, I always was more sympathetic to what the what was right for the artist so for me working doing this for a management company was really the ultimate goal because you know every decision we make is what is right for this artist everything and there's a long-term goal you know i always say it's like if if a record label if a, if, a, if an artist or late or management company thinks that there are three singles the label's only going to want to do two or if there are two they're going to want to do one they're not going to necessarily be invested for the full 18 months of a cycle of touring. And I've seen artists get dropped midway through a cycle that we've had to pick up all the pieces. And it's just, um, you know, what I'm doing now, it, it, it's at a great place. And a lot of management companies have these, have radio promotion teams now. Like most most of the big ones, and even some of the medium ones and smaller ones, 
you know, have at least one person that does it. Um, and it's a really, I think, an important role as life, you know, as the businesses evolve. Um, and for you, it sounds satisfying. Super satisfying. It really is. Um, I mean, again, I, I love, yeah, jokingly, when I was interviewing, I was like, look, I, I, I bought most of your records. I've been buying my morning jacket record for a decade and Alabama Shakes and all these bands. So if you hire me, I can maybe get them for free. Like, how great's that? And they did. So I can, you know, <laughs> hang with bands that I like for free. But, um, but I also like it because we also, we're engaging the industry at every level. We have some artists that are on major labels, so we get to partner with a major label team. Um, sometimes we're partnering with an independent label. Sometimes it's all just us or a good label with, you know, solid everything, but they just don't have radio. So it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. It's, it's really cool. Um, thanks for that. I noticed you skipped over the part about payola, but that's okay. What I, what I, oh, no, I, I mean, no, I'm simple, joking. The question is when I came in to the, to the business, that really, that had been cleaned up. I tell people, just read, read the book Hitman and you'll that, see what it'd be like. And it, you'll just be like, it, it's gross. That's it really exactly is. what I wanted to end with. If you guys have any music industry books that are more radio promo oriented that you want to suggest to our readers. Hitman is one of them. You said that I mean, one, really, Howard. I, it's funny. I, I don't read a lot of music industry books because I think they're silly. Um, that's probably, and I read that one when it came out, whatever it was, 20 years ago. I mostly, I don't, you know, my reading is other thing. I, I, I'll just quote Mike Watt, write your own book, paint your own picture, figure it out. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, Everyone will give advice, but you're going to ultimately have to just figure it out yourself. Yeah, Cal- oh, I meant uh, like books about stories, not necessarily advice. But yeah, you're right. You're so right. Cowboys and Indies is... Kind of like Hitman, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of a history of the uh, of independent records and how records, the business started in general um, through RCA and all that. Um, so that's a good one. Cowboys and Indies is a uh, is a good book. Um, the most entertaining music autobiography I've, I've read ever was Iron Man by Tony Iommi. He was the guitarist for Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you have to read this book because. He clearly is dictating it. <laughs> like he's just sitting in an armchair dictating it to whoever the ghostwriter is. Because there's a lot, of, and like chapters are like three pages. And then there's a lot of blimey. Oh, blimey. And then how it, it gives you a little bit of, uh, it, it's, it's heartening to know that they were morons. They were so drunk and so stupid and yet became one of the biggest bands ever. They had no idea how much money they had. They didn't know anything except how to just play their instruments. And they were barely keeping it together. And it is so entertaining because he has such a good attitude about all of it. And um, if you're a fan of Spinal Tap, it's where Stone, you find out that Stonehenge came from Black Sabbath. Because they had a Stonehenge. Oh, and, I did uh, not it was After know Ozzy, that. after Dio... Yeah, it was like the latter day Sabbath in the in the early '80s, and the, the, an amazing story. They met Spinal Tap, and they didn't even know it was fake. Uh, they were just—it's so entertaining. It's a quick read, super fun. Um, if you're looking for just kind of like a fun uh, music autobiography, but uh, but Cowboys and Indies about the actual business side of things is really interesting as well. This has been such a pleasure. I know I know a bit about radio promotion because, like I said, my brother works in it, and I, I had to explain to my parents what it was because he couldn't explain it in a way that they understood what it was. Um, but And I was a manager, so I... 
I've, I've been around it, but this has been a really fantastically in-depth interview about the ins and outs. I really appreciate all the time that you guys took to, um, to be here for me today. This is great. Um, you know, it's funny. So your day worked me when I was in radio, he, he was at Warner brothers. So he was working me like on Jane's addictions records and anything Warner brothers, like late eighties. So that's when I first got to know your brother. Wow. And we're still friends to this day. We both, we live near each other. We, you know, we work professionally together, but we're, we every, yeah, we used to do it every week, but now we, we go out for pizza every, every couple of Fridays. We meet at Joe's pizza in New York city. Oh and, yeah. Uh, that's his favorite. The one on sixth. Cause it's the best. <laughs> Well, Matt Riley, Howard Petrozello, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about radio promotion. It has been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Bye, everybody. See you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for part two of our podcast on the ins and outs of radio promotion. I thought it was a really great conversation. I hope you did, too. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individuals talking and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of TuneCore. Check out TuneCore.com to help you distribute your music, register your original songs worldwide, and more. Connect with us on all social channels at TuneCore. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. 